Welcome back to the Bible Caddy Podcast. I'm William Kane, and I'm joined by my good buddies, Ben Crane and Webb Simpson. What's up, boys? Hey, bud. Good to be back. Hello, fellas. What's going on? Not a lot. Not a lot. Tough, tough week in Nashville. Yeah. Oh, man. Sadness. Sadness and just heartbreak and... Um, my daughter is, um, one of the girls on her dance team, um, lives on a, on a, a street with one of the girls who, uh, whose life was taken. So, um, it's just very, so close to home and so sad for us. Yeah. We both have friends who are pretty tied in at covenant. And so if you're listening, we just ask you to pray and keep praying for those folks. There's some wonderful people who are going through a really, really tough time and, um, we just want them to know the comfort and care from, from God himself. So yep. tough stuff. Man. Webb, tell us you guys, you and your wife, Dowd started a school and yeah. so this hits close to home for you in a different kind of way. Tell, tell the listeners what you and some men at your school are going to do. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> I just think, um, I think being a Christian and living out your faith practically day to day is becoming harder in America, in the sense of there's going to be more criticism, more verbal attacks, more physical attacks. Um, obviously, this last uh, week's shooting, it seems very much like it was tied into an attack on Christians um, based on the evidence. But uh, I know the full story is going to come out soon. But I don't know. Seeing that and the heartbreak and I mean, I hardly slept that night. My wife and I stayed up late into the night talking. <clears throat> I just thought, okay, Lord, we need you. We need you more than ever. Um, and so in this generation of kids who were trying to uh, teach the beautiful, loving, forgiving message, the good news of Jesus Christ every day, not just in our home, but in school, in church, um, I just had the idea, the Spirit put it upon me to get the other dads involved, to, to come out to the school uh, just once a month get together and pray, beg the Lord to protect our schools, beg, beg the Lord to protect our kids, beg the Lord to um, capture the hearts of our kids and the minds of our kids, that our kids would not live for this world, but would live for the good of others and for the glory of the Lord. Um, and so that's what we're going to do. We'll see what the Lord does through it. But more than anything, just dads who care about their kids, uh, who care about the school, who care about the church uh, that we go to just to pray, uh, to ask God to help and protect and and, and move. Yeah, man. And it would be sweet if that same concept popped up at different places, you know? So yeah. if you're listening to this and your dad, it's a little Bible caddy challenge. Go do the same That's thing it. at your school. Yeah. Um, well, shifting from that sad news to what's really exciting news, Ben, you had your 500th start on the PGA tour last week. That is so awesome. Let's go, Ben. Tell, tell us yeah. about that. Uh, so fun. I actually didn't know that was happening. And um, a good friend, Dave, just called me and said he screenshotted the PGA Tour app and it said 499. And he said, hey, your next event is 500. And he said, I'm coming. And so we rented a house uh, with my good buddy, Jonathan Bird, and he cooked for us and just served and just like walked with us. And um, we just had a ball. So it was just a fun week in the Dominican Jonathan Bird had a nice week. Um, I had I was kind of hanging around the cut line, and um, 
you know, Webb and I were just talking about how like the tournament within the tournament is when you're kind of around the cut line on, on uh, Friday. And um, I needed some birdies coming in and was able to birdie, I think three of my last five holes um, to make the cut. And I birdied <clears throat> number seven, a par five, nice couple shots and I get up and down. And then I get to the eighth hole, it's this par four kind of along the water and I hit it in the, the fairway bunker. But my next shot, the ball's kind of sitting like a third down in the bunker. And so you like have to hit like a controlled thin shot. You know, it's like you got to hit it like, you know, almost a blade, but just like a controlled thin shot. And there's a hazard short, there's hazard the ocean left, and there's ocean long. And I can bail out potentially in the right bunker, but I still have to cover the, the front hazard. So I'm sitting there. And, and, it, and if it goes in the yards. right bunker, it probably plugs. With that club. So, so I mean, the, I'm, I'm literally like the cut is on the line on this, you know, and it's a lob wedge, you know, because it's a little bit downwind, but I don't want to take lob wedge because I don't want to have to get that extra amount of um, the leading edge underneath the ball, right? I, I need a little less lob to try to ensure a little better contact. So I take 55 degree wedge and I'm like, all right, here goes nothing. Like I got to hit like precisely like, uh, almost blade thin shot whatever and and, uh, and hit a nice shot to about 25 feet behind the hole but I literally it was definitely the best shot of the tournament for me um, awesome. and then was able to birdie the ninth hole made a 15 footer up the hill Kevin Chappell says to me at dinner that night he goes I'm on the first tee and I hear all this hoot and holler and you're, you're <laughs> you know making all this noise like what the heck were you saying and uh my friend Crispy was caddying for me and I'm like Crispy let's go as my ball was ro- rolling in <laughs> on number nine. It was just fun in the 500th event to, to make the cut. Uh, That's you know, awesome. One, one clear of the number. And, um, it was kind of just fun to to go out that way. Yeah. Good work, buddy. Buddy. Hey, hey I just got to say, I mean, 500 <laughs> starts, that means – that's. I did the math. That's averaging roughly 25 events a year, which you haven't even been able to probably do that battle an injury that's 20 years worth of being on the pga tour so to the listeners that is very very hard to do to stay on tour that long so buddy well done that's incredible uh not many people have made it to 500 yeah thanks buddy it's been it's been a joy to be able to do it with with you guys my friends and and families it's just it's all a gift like what what gifts do we have that the lord hasn't provided so it's it's been it's been a sweet journey good well, we had some big time action at the match play. Um, Weber coming through with a hot pick, but before we get to that, um, Weber's guy made it all the way to the final, but he got just he got worked in the final by Sam Burns. <laughs> Burns birdies eight of his last ten to birdie forty nine out of one hundred nineteen total holes. So, just comment on the golf of Sam Burns before we get to Cam Young. It's some of the best golf that's ever been played. I mean, you really just like mathematically, you, it's really hard to do. I mean, you're playing on an imperfect surface, yeah. and that's as good a golf as can be played. I mean, that's that's like Tiger Woods in his prime level of golf. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, hats off to Sam Burns. Just he's obviously a fierce competitor, but his game is so good. His swing is so good. His putting is so good. I mean, yeah. it's no just, weaknesses. It's just so impressive. Um, so super fun to see and just a, a wonderful guy. So um, even more fun to see. Yeah. And I mean, 
even more impressive that on Saturday he played 36 holes and Sunday he had already played his match that morning. So it's almost one of those things, you know, you hear people talk about an athletic high or getting into the zone. I mean, this guy's had every right for his body to be physically broken down, his mind to be tired, and yet he played his greatest golf probably he's ever played. So this that's one of those days he will never forget, not only for winning, but like you said, Ben, for kind of going in fuego, Tiger Woods in his prime style. Um, so big win for Sam. Yeah. And taking now Scotty Scheffler, who's playing, you know, the most elite golf in the world with John Rahm right now. It's just, yep. I mean, it's not like he didn't, you know, like he had an easy bracket. It was just right. unbelievable what he went through even to get to the final. Yeah. Yep. Sam's a believer, loves the Lord. So always, always fun to see that. No doubt. Well, he, he took out your guy in the final, but Weber, your guy Cam Young with your great buddy Paulie Tesori looping for him had an unbelievable week. Tell, tell these guys what he did on his first nine holes and then just retrace the week for Cam. So, yeah, we actually did a podcast that day. And, you know, to the listeners, me and Will, William and Ben and Jace are texting. Cameron had nine threes on the fr- first nine holes with Paulie on the bag. He shot, I believe, a seven under 28. 27. Um, nine, times, 27. nine times three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wake Forest doesn't teach that stuff. That's uh, right. Nine no. times three is 27. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, but awesome week for them. I was so happy to see it. I was watching the matches. Um, I think, you know, I ended up doing an outing with Cam on Monday in Florida. So he got like 30 minutes of sleep. But one thing he told me was uh, how great Paulie was immediately. A lot of times with the new caddy, it takes weeks to get fully acclimated. But Paulie, you know, he's 51. He's not going to waste any time. He jumped right in. He was assertive. Um, in the middle of one of the matches, he told Cam that his driver's cracked. He needs another one, which Paulie told me he didn't know. Should he say something? Should he not? But I think Paulie gave him a ton of confidence this week on the greens. Um, they worked through their process already really well. And I don't think Cam's really disappointed. I know he wants to get his first win so bad. But, I mean, like you guys said, how do you – you can't be up, too upset with a guy who birdies eight out of ten holes to beat you. Right, especially when you beat Rory McIlroy in the semifinal match. You know exactly winning the last hole to go to extra holes, right? Weber, so. how was it watching for you? So, we kind of documented last week the process of really just freeing Polly up to go, um, yeah, because you love him. What was it like for you watching Polly on Cam's bag? So, it was weird, you know, seeing Polly like talking to him on the phone was even weirder, just him, you know, him saying we, you know, and it's not me and him, it's him and Cam. But I knew all that stuff would feel weird at first. But it, it's so cool to see, you know, another player who, you know, Cam's playing such good golf already to be able to benefit from all the great things that make up Polly as a caddy. And Polly brings so much to the table. And so it's just fun for me. I've benefited so much. And I feel like I could write a book on how he's helped me. Um, it's just fun to see it unfold for another player. And I know a lot of Polly's intricacies. So seeing it happen even more than Cam realizes it is really fun. Um, but it's one of those things, guys. I mean, my early call on Cam Young, even before Paulie, was just this guy's going to win double digits, multiple majors. He's that good, that complete of a player. And now with Pauly, I mean, hopefully Paulie can go another 10, 15 years with him. So it's going to be a tough team. And how about Paulie's paycheck, Weber? Second highest paycheck Paulie's <clears throat> ever gotten. Was the first week with Cam they didn't even win the golf tournament. (laughs) (laughs) 
So Paulie redid his pool this past year. He's been stressed about it. He said he sat out all night on his pool when he got home Sunday. I bet he did. Good for you, Paulie. Uh, for a year, he's regretted it, and now he's like, "Why?" I mean, I should have done it. You know. That's so great. <laughs> well, that means a hundred bucks, Bob. Where are you yes. sending it? So we sent a donation to the school uh, that my kids go to, Calvary Christian Academy, but I'm going to send it to the church, Calvary Church. We're about to do a renovation to increase some class sizes, some meeting space. So they're do- doing a, a building campaign. This would, uh, every bit helps. As our pastor said on Sunday, if you got 10 bucks to give, give it. So we'll take, I'll take the money to Calvary Church. Love Thank it. You. Love it. Um, all right, well, picks for San Antonio. Um, it's a little bit of a down week. You got the match play last week. You got Masters next week. It, you know, but we're we want action. So who are you picking? I got Matt Kuchar. Had a great week last week. Uh, I believe he's played well in San Antonio before. It's windy there. He hits it low. Cooch uh, is coming into form. I got I got Matty Kuchar. When I play my game, I make my mama proud. I'm going Ricky Fowler golf boys, baby. <laughs> Let's go. I thought we were about to get the whole song. Yeah, I could see I could see Ricky getting back in that winter circle for sure. Buddy, he's 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 starting to play some nice golf. So excited for him. And uh, yeah, I think I think it's gonna be a great week for Ricky Fowler. Man, I'm torn, guys. My picks have been so bad. I actually had a buddy text me saying the podcast is really great, but you gotta work on your picking. Can I, can I give you a little advice? Give me some advice. I mean, you, you've you know told us right at the beginning, either horses for courses or who's on a heater, and then you successfully picked two people who weren't in the golf tournament. So what are you going to tell me? <laughs> <laughs> I, I play with Cam Davis a few holes in a practice round, and Webb has seen it. Like, this guy literally hits five irons to 15 feet. And this is a golf course where you have to drive it straight off the tee this guy's a flusher. Um, so I think Cam Davis is a pretty solid pick. He's in the top 15 um, That's a good of, of, of guys to, to look at for this golf course, whatever. Anyway, I, I think Cam Davis, um, Ben Martin's playing some pretty good golf too. But uh, I go Cam Davis if I were you, Willie. Well, I'll trust He's you. He's in the tournament. I'll trust you. I like it. Um, Ben Martin, or sorry, Cam Davis is my guy, even though Ben Martin is the man, but I'll come to Ben later. Um, yeah. All right, boys. Well, we're one week into a new season on Bible Caddy, still making it our aim to get to know Jesus better and better. And for the next few weeks, we're asking, what did Jesus claim? He made a number of enormous claims, claims that if they're not true, they're absurd. And if they are true, they demand our attention and allegiance. So we're looking at the claims of Jesus that are called the I am statements from the gospel of John. Some of his most significant claims. And our hope is that if you hadn't made up your mind about Jesus, you would see who he is and trust him. And that those of you who have already believed in him, that you'd be strengthened in your grasp of who he is. So last week we saw Jesus claim to be the bread of life, the one who provides nourishment and satisfaction in life for his people. And today we turn our attention to his second I am statement which comes in John chapter 8, verse 12. So we'll start reading in 737, read to the end of that chapter, and then we'll read 812. Uh, So Ben, if you could pray for our time, and then Weber, if you could read. Yeah. 
Love to. Lord God, what a gift it is uh, to know you and to be known by you, Lord. Um, we ask um, that we would um, have eyes to see and ears to hear um, what it is that you're saying through your uh, perfect supernatural word. Um, Lord, we need you. We need your help. Um, we need your love and care and grace in our lives more than anything. So uh, be with us, Lord. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Ben. All right, John seven thirty seven through 52. <clears throat> On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees, who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who has gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. And then in John 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. So let's let's build up to this I am claim in John 8, 12. Um, and really, in this passage, we kind of get two claims for the price of one. So what are we told in John 7, verses 37 and 38? What happens? Uh, he's, Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Okay, great. And and when does Jesus stand up and say this? So again, we, we've talked about this quite a bit. I'm going to keep saying it because one of our goals for this podcast is that as, as we all, as you listen, we want you to get better and better at reading the Bible. And one of the ways that things that helps us read the Bible is we always want to read it in context. So Jesus stands up and he says, just what Webb said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And Ben, when does he say this? So this is um, the time of the Feast of Booze. It's like um, a ceremonial time of remembrance of what God has done for them. And it's kind of like a late harvest feast um, where they've all come together and there's a big crowd around. And so this is when Jesus um, says this. Yeah, good. This is the last day of that Feast of Booze or Feast of Tabernacles. That's exactly right. There are three feasts on the Jewish calendar that would have brought kind of faithful Jews to Jerusalem every year. This is one of those three. So you'd have hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem. And with hundreds of thousands of people you know, in, the, in, in Jerusalem, many thousands of those in the temple area, Jesus stands up and he makes this claim. Now, let's nerd out a little bit here. 
Do either of you guys know what would be happening on the last day, the last and great day of the Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths? I don't. I mean, how do you guys not know this? (laughs) (laughs) Um, On the last, the only reason I know this is because of Don Carson's commentary. So, uh, you know, I was a PE major. Um, on, On the last day of this feast every year, two things would happen. First, there was a water pouring ritual. And then second, there was a light ceremony. And so the the priest would pour out water at the base of the altar. And this had its origins in an obscure Old Testament passage, Zechariah 14, where it was prophesied that if people did not come to the Feast of Booths, the Lord would withhold the rain. And so the water ritual pointed to the fruitfulness that God would bring when the Messiah came. Hmm. And then after that, there would have been this lighting ceremony where lamps or torches would be lit with one particular lamp lit on the last night to remind the Israelites of their future salvation. And then they'd dance and celebrate and have a big party. So you got this water pouring ritual, and then you've got this lighting ceremony. And it's against that backdrop that Jesus stands up and says what he says. So now read it again in 37, 38. Mm. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Okay, so against that water ritual that points to the coming messianic age, what do you think Jesus is claiming? Man, I'm here. The prophecy is fulfilled. Everything that you've read that's been pointing to the coming Messiah is fulfilled in me. Yes. All of that Mm. now, the the sign and the symbol is done. Now you come to me. You come to me and drink. Um, So good. It's just an enormous, it's an enormous claim. Um, and so, Willie, the the listeners would have been most of them would have been right there with them and seeing the correlation. I I think so. I, the educated Jew would have known what's happening on this last great day of the feast, and they certainly would have heard his words in comparison to what was being done. Right. Um, wow. So he he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Um, last week we heard him say, if anyone hungers, let him come to me. What what kind of thirst do you think he's talking about here? spiritual thirst where they really we can't find satisfaction in life apart from apart from christ and so there's when you're not a believer there's this thirst to fill your life with things of the world and ultimately they don't satisfy until we land on putting christ at the center of our lives and believing that what he did he did for us and then all of a sudden we get this satisfaction and peace where this thirst is quenched yes yeah so well said. So qu- question to you guys, how have you experienced that spiritual thirst? Like before you came to Christ, what were some ways that you tried to quench that thirst in your soul? Mm. Man, I tried to quench it through a lot of different vehicles. So one of them was a relationship with a girl. Um, in college, I had my entire identity wrapped up in my girlfriend so when she broke up with me, my life was crushed or ruined for a, a brief bit of time. Um, I've had it crushed through golf. When golf hasn't panned out, you know, pre-Christ, pre-knowing Christ, it would crush me. And then when it would pan out, it would be so amazing, this mountaintop experience for just a brief bit of time. But then a day, two later, I'm back thirsting for more, like this inexhaustible hole in myself, in my heart that I couldn't fill whether it's a girl, whether it's golf, whether it's money, whether it's success, whatever it is. Um, and when I 
started my relationship with Jesus, what happened was the mind slows down in a sense. I'm just trying to get a word picture here for the audience. The mind slows down, the heart rests. There's an exhale of my spirit, of my being, where I'm not striving Mm-hmm. in this relationship. I'm not striving in golf in the sense of like, I got to have it to be happy. It was just peace floods in and it was amazing. And it still happens every day. Love that. Ben, anything you would add that's different or similar story for you? I think for me, um, from an early age as a boy, um, wanting the approval of my parents, wanting the approval um, for friendships um, and seeking you know, to have relationships that would, that would satisfy me or fill me up and they never did. Um, and then, you know, it becomes, you know, girls and um, then it becomes golf and the relationships with all these things that ultimately I'm seeking, um, you know, for myself to be, um, you know, the means to an end to, to satisfy. And ultimately until, um, I put my hope in Christ and what, um, who he is and what he's done, I never experienced rest. And now, you know, it's so fun, literally fun every morning to, to uh, recenter my life on the word and Jesus Christ, the rock, um, the firm foundation. And I really do experience um, a supernatural peace and rest in my life Mm -hmm. um, where I'm free to, to um, worship him, trust him. And, um, and then to truly love people, not with um, an agenda, but, um, out of um, what um, remembrance of what he's done for me, I can then go in turn and love other people. hundred percent. Ben, I think that's spot on. And what it made me think of is I spoke of a relationship with my girlfriend. I spoke of golf. I, I feel like when you know Christ, and like you said, Ben, you orient your life around Jesus, the word of God every day. What happens is all these relationships with these things, with people, with our job, with our kids, everything actually becomes healthier and how it should be. And so I was able to see doubt as a gift or golf as a gift and worship God through those relationships and have him be the glue that holds all of it together Um, versus me compartmentalizing and saying, I got golf here. I got my relationships here. I got God on Sunday. No, God is the centerpiece and he influences everything. He is the fuel for everything in our life. Um, And when I started living like that, life changed for me in such a good way. And I don't have to keep it all going. God is the one who, Correct. you know, holds it all together. And I trust him, not that I have to do these, you know, constantly be at work to, to manage these things. Right. Yes. And you, what's yeah. so cool is like you, y'all's experience is confirming what Jesus has said here. You see how in verse yep. 38, it says, you, the one who believes this out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It will be a spring of living water. He'll keep quenching your thirst. Okay, so it's obvious that Jesus has clearly quenched y'all's thirst, your spiritual thirst. Um, and in this offer that Jesus makes here in John 37, 30, or 7, 37, 38, who is the offer for? Whoever. Yes. Anyone. Anyone and whoever. What about if you've like really blown it? What about if... The places you've tried to quench your thirst, you're embarrassed by or ashamed of. I mean, it doesn't matter. We've seen people left and right throughout New Testament, Jesus' life, who've screwed up in every way and screwed up worse than a lot of us. And he's got the same message for them. Come in to fact, me. William, as you've pointed out so many times, Jesus is drawn to those people. That's right. 
Yes. He loves them. And he wants, yep. he especially wants to quench your thirst. If you have tried to find satisfaction in all manner of ways that you're embarrassed of or ashamed of, he can quench your thirst and he wants to quench your thirst. And if you, if that's you, how, how do you come according to verse 38 a by belief, by belief, yep. you believe coming and drinking and believing they're all synonymous, right? Jesus yep. uses all these little terms to just say, look at me and believe in me, put your that's trust right. in me, give your heart yep. to me. And when you do that out of your heart will flow rivers of living water right now, that's kind of metaphorical and it's poetic, but thankfully John tells us what, what it means in verse 39. And what does that mean? Uh, if you believe in Jesus, you will receive the Spirit of God. Mm. Yes. Yep. And Tell the, us about which, that, William. The, what, does that, what does that mean? Yep. When, when, what are the consequences of receiving and having the Spirit of God in you? Yeah. So water is used as a metaphor for the Spirit a number of places in the Old Testament. And so as it, I, I think what Jesus is talking about here is one of the things that the Spirit does is he's the one who who quenches our thirst. He's the one who provides life and nourishment uh, for our soul. He's the one that um, allows us to look to Jesus and receive all that Jesus has done for us and really rest. And what comes is just what Webb and Ben talked about. There's like a tangible peace in the soul. And there's a, there's a, a ceasing from striving and all of a sudden I don't have to run here and there to find mm-hmm. what I'm looking for anymore. I've got it in Jesus Christ. And That's the spirit right. brings that to bear on my soul. Come on. Um, hey Willie, I want to say one thing yep. um, about your question earlier about whoever. And I think it's important for the listeners. Um, as much as I think people know this, I don't think it's common to know this, but using today's language, the idea of inclusive, exclusive, and and I've said this before in this podcast, Jesus is both inclusive and exclusive in his offer. And what I mean by that is he's inclusive. Whoever, anyone, whoever wants to come to know him can, right? The qualification is what? That we come, that we believe, that we accept his free gift of grace. But he is exclusive. He himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There are not multiple multiple paths to God. There is one way to know God, and that is through Jesus Christ. So we want to be clear to the listeners. There is one way to experience joy, peace. There's one way to experience eternal life, forgiveness of your sins. It's knowing Jesus and following him. Amen, buddy. And I I love that you said that Jesus in a couple of these, I am statements, Jesus is going to come to that idea in particular. Um, And we're actually going to see it next week. So if we put all this together, then Jesus standing up at this feast and making this claim um, as the water flows at the base of the altar, he's saying that, that he is the fulfillment of all this, you know, all these feasts, it's all a symbol pointing to him and what he's going to do. He's going to pour out his spirit on his people. He's going to quench our thirst forever. Um, he's saying that it's all about him. And if you're looking for satisfaction, you come to him and find it. So this is an enormous claim mm-hmm. with tons of people around. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it makes sense of the way that people react in the next verses. So what reactions do we see? Let's start in verses 40 and 41. Some people said this really is the prophet. Others said this is the Christ. Yep. 
But some said, is the Christ really to come from Galilee? So there's a lot of confusion, a lot of opinions flying. Opinions are flying, right? Some think, <laughs> hey, this is the prophet from Deuteronomy 18 that we talked about last week. Others are like, no, dude, this is the Messiah. Others are like, no, nah, it can't be because the Messiah's got to come from Bethlehem. And obviously right. they had just not looked close enough at Jesus. Of course, he had come from Bethlehem. Um, what about verse 44? So, so those were kind of some tame responses. What do we see in 44a? They wanted to arrest him. Yeah. So here's how the, you know, the crowds are, they got opinions and the, the opinions are flying. The authorities, they want to, they want to do away with them. They want to mm-hmm. arrest them. And a great summary comes in verse 43. What does that tell us? There's a great division among the people over him. And so because of that, they wanted to arrest him. Exactly. But at that time, no one laid their hands on him. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a, the summary is, as Jesus stands up and says all these things, there is a division among the people over him. Mm-hmm. Um, so people are starting to either love him or hate him. Mm-hmm. But here's what his claims do. And we talked about this last week. His claims force us off the fence. They, That's do, right. they draw clear lines. They push us to one side or another. That's what was happening in this passage. And you see a great example of it in 45, 46. So the, the religious leaders sent these officers early in the chapter to go arrest Jesus. Uh, but when the officers come, the officers don't arrest him. And they asked the officers, the, the religious leaders did in verse 45, why'd you not bring him? And what do the officers say in verse 46? No one ever spoke like this man. <laughs> yeah. We've never heard anything like this. Yeah, exactly. They're, they've got commands from their authorities, but then they go and listen to him and they're like, dude, we can't do it. We can't arrest this right. guy. We're not willing. Right. We're not willing to obey right here, okay? right? And that's the effect that Jesus was having on people, right? He's creating right. division, and people don't know what to do with him, right? Um, okay, so he makes this first set of claims that we see in seven thirty-seven and thirty-eight, um, and then there's division, and then we're going to jump from seven fifty-two all the way to eight twelve. Now, real quick. Any idea why we would skip 753 to 811? Either of you guys got so, a note in your Bible? Yeah, in my Bible, it says the earliest manuscripts do not include 753 to 811. So tell us, tell us about that, William. Yeah. So the earliest copies of the Gospel of John that have been found do not have these verses in there. Um, it... it doesn't necessarily mean that this event of the woman who caught in adultery never happened, but it does mean that John did not include it in his original gospel. Okay. So as John wrote the gospel, chapter eight, verse 12 would have come immediately after chapter seven, verse 52. Now Mm. quickly, this shouldn't take away confidence in your Bible. This is only one of two uh, substantial editions like this in your whole Bible. Each one are clearly marked. Neither of them change, uh, any point of doctrine in scripture. Um, the Bible is super trustworthy and we'll actually talk about that. I'm sure on a future episode. And it's a great story. It's a great story. Yeah. It's just not continuing the thought of where we are. Exactly. And so remember we're at a specific feast with some specific things going on and Jesus stands up at that feast and makes some specific claims. And chapter eight, verse 12 actually carries more power and more weight when you read it in that context, which is the Mm -hmm. context it belongs in. So as he's at the feast and there's this 
water ceremony and there's this lighting ceremony. He says, if anyone comes, you know, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. And then what does he say in chapter eight, verse 12? He stands up and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Mm. Yes. Amen. So just after that lamp is lit, that points to Israel's future (laughs) salvation. Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world. Mm. Follow me. Follow that light. Follow me. Exactly. I mean, what, what a, what a place to be at that time. Can you imagine? No. I, I mean, dude, just think about somebody saying that. Come to me. I'll quench your thirst. I'm the light of the world. Follow me. You won't walk in darkness. Mm. It's not like listen to what I'm teaching. It's yeah. like it's all about me. The claims right. are huge. Okay. Right. This which is division. Yes. This I mean, there is division here. Yes. I mean, and Willie, in a in a very holistic overview summary, I mean, would it be fair to say like there was a transition from when he first started teaching was it was it was all teaching and of him, but it was a lot about what his father said, what his father had told him to do. And is it fair to say he's transitioned now to a lot of I am, it's all about me. How would you characterize that? For sure. So he he gets more and more public with his identity as his ministry goes on, right? We remember back to season one when we saw him tell a number of people after he healed them, don't tell anybody. Right. Remember that? But now we're six months from his death. Right. And he is starting to go more and more public with who he is because he's trying to put on display his identity so that when he dies on the cross, people are seeing, oh my, the son of God has become mm. for us the lamb of God to bring salvation yep. to the world. Yep. Um, and he knows the more he goes public, the more it's going to provoke the re- religious authorities. Yep. But you got to remember his life is on a divine timeline. Like he is yep. going to die on Passover weekend, you know, this you know next major feast. Um, so that's a great okay. question. So there, there he is at the Feast of Tabernacles, and he stands up and he claims, I am the light of the world. Now, Ben, quickly remind us about this whole I am deal. Why would he put I am before the light of the world? Yeah, so as you told us last week, um, that I am, um, the bread of life last week, it's the translated ego in me um, from Exodus 3.14, where Moses is interacting with God. And so now Jesus is claiming um, to be that God. Um, and so that ego of me is just this massive, this I am is this massive claim here. Um, again, creating division and he's coming on stage as showing us who he really is. Totally. And and again, it just adds weight and offense to the claim. If it's not true, he takes on the name of God. I am the light of the world. Now let's, let's Mm -hmm. talk about this light of the world phrase. What, what does light do? Helps us see. Yes. Reveals things as they really are. If you walk into a dark room and there's no light, you stumble and fumble about it. You go through the world that way. Um, but when the lights are turned on, reality um, sets mm. in. You can actually navigate your way through. Yes. Mm. Perfect. That's exactly right. And in the Bible, what does light typically communicate? Can y'all think about different times in the Bible where light symbolizes something? Anything come to mind? I mean, when the Israelites are in the desert, he uses a fire uh, at night so they can see where to go. Yes, yeah, so both so they can see where to go and so they can discern 
his presence with them, right? So light right. throughout the Old Testament symbolizes the glory of God, right? Yeah. Like the going public of God. And yeah. uh, he is doesn't get that from somewhere else. He is the source of it, right? Remember right. how we saw in the transfiguration when Jesus is talking to you know, Moses and Elijah, and all of a sudden the boys wake up and they see Jesus and he's dazzlingly white. Right. It's like the, the glory of God. So light communicates yep. that glory. He is the source. So Jesus says, I am I am the light of the world. I'm not like mm-hmm. Moses. I don't get my glory from somewhere else. I am the light. Mm-hmm. Um, any, any other things you can think of that light kind of communicates? Let me Let me read a verse to you and you tell me what it's communicating. First uh, John one five says God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. Mm-hmm. Purity, mm-hmm. yes, purity, yeah. holiness, yeah. sinlessness. Yeah. Right. So when Jesus says, "I am the light of the world," He's taking on this purity, uh, this holiness. He's taking on this glory, and then just like Ben made really clear, light reveals. And in the first chapter of this gospel, um. John says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which enlightens everyone is coming into the world. And the idea Mm -hmm. is that Jesus is light. He reveals what God is really like. Yeah. No one's ever seen God, but here comes God, the son showing us what God is like. And we see that same idea in Hebrews one, three that says about Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Mm -hmm. So put together with that I am expression, Jesus is claiming to be God in human form with all his purity and holiness and glory and to put on display for humanity what God's really like. It's it's just a Mm. huge claim. But the claim also comes with a, a promise. Okay, And what's the promise in verse 12? Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Okay. Whoever given something. That's right. And how does Jesus describe humanity apart from him? We are Uh, walking in darkness. Yeah. Walking in darkness. And what do you think that means? We've already kind of hinted at that. We've talked about being spiritually thirsty. Now the metaphor shifts a little bit. What does it mean to walk in darkness? I think it's to just be living in sin. We were born into sin. Um, because of our father, um, Adam, and we are, and when we don't know which way to go, because we don't have the light, then we naturally do what sinners do and it's sin, which separates us from God. Yes. Well said. Darkness is certainly symbolic for sin. Um, and when we're in sin, okay, not only are we doing and thinking and feeling these things that are dark and corrupt, right? But we're also not seeing reality. We don't know God for who he is. We don't know the purpose that we're here for. We don't know where to go or how to get there. That's what darkness does to us. Um, I think a great illustration for this is like a nightclub, right? Mm -hmm. If you're in a nightclub, how do they get those lights? Dark, 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 dark. And why do they make it dark, dark, dark? Because dark things are happening. Yes, and where, and where do dark things want to live? In the dark. In the dark. And so if all the lights flipped on at about 1.30 a.m. at a nightclub, what do you think would happen? Yeah. People would be embarrassed. They'd leave. Totally. Yeah. And, and you'd see on the floor, like what would the floor of a nightclub look like with all the lights oh, on? Just, just nasty. Gross. Dude, yes. And the idea is that that is humanity apart from God. We're living in darkness, doing dark things. Yep. But there's a way to get out of there, right? That's right. 
And, and what promise now does Jesus hold out to those who come to him? You will have the light of life. Yes. The one who follows me will have the light of life. What do you think he means by that? I think he means that uh, we'll be able to see. Uh, we'll be able to see what's good and what's bad. We'll be able to uh, know him. Uh, we'll have peace in our souls. Um, and like you said earlier, William, the spirit, one of the gifts of the spirit that the spirit gives us is discernment, wisdom, um, you know, so our will will line up with God's will. Um, and yeah, we'll just, we'll be able to see clearly, you know, spiritually speaking. Yes. And seeing I think, clearly, I think he's also got sal- salvation in mind here, obviously that, that we are going to be saved if we have that light of life. Yes. And that, that's an awesome connection. Light and salvation are connected all throughout the Old Testament, right? Like Psalm 27, you are my light and my salvation. So great observation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think all those things, we're going to be able to see clearly, we're going to live in the light of God's blessing. Like how yep. good to live under the smile of God and to have like a clean soul, a clear conscience, a satisfied heart to follow Jesus and walk in light. I mean, how it's good the best. is Isn't that the best? How, all right, so tell me how y'all, we, we, you've already told me how the Lord has quenched your thirst. How have you kind of experienced clarity, like the light of life in following Jesus? So slightly different, um, mm. but like living the way that God intended. Has that happened for you? And if so, how so? I think for me, like marriage comes to mind, like mm. living in, in light of what God wants marriage to be, right? And with you know obedience to that there's just blessing beyond Mm -hmm. blessing it's just becomes one of the greatest joys and obviously there's you know not we're not home yet right it's not um without sin but there's just so much blessing in 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 obedience of marriage and then out of the fruit of that comes kids and um you know right discipline and um just kids that you know um their obedience it's just like it's just one of the greatest joys that that god gives us yes totally he he's got the whole thing rigged and when we come into the light and start walking in the light it it's we're still in a broken world there still is going to be suffering but by and large it works Right. As yeah. we talked about before, it's like chipping down grain. That mean you're definitely going to hit a good chip, but it's easier than chipping <laughs> on wet grass that's growing into you. wet Bermuda into. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hey, Willie. This, yeah. These lyrics came to mind with this passage today. I just want to read it really quick. Um, song is all I have is Christ. And I just love the opening. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy in life, i.e. the nightclub, had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. Hmm. But as I ran a hellbound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I behold God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. Amen. From darkness to light. He rescued us. Amen. Yep. Shout out to Sovereign Grace Music. If you don't know their music, it is encouraging for the soul. Um, Okay, so let's let's start to land the plane right there. Um, Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says this. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us 
to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So a metaphor for salvation is he takes us out of that dark world and he brings us into light. One more time, Weber, just remind us if somebody's listening and they hadn't experienced that yet, how can they get in on that? Yeah, well, good news about Jesus. He makes it super simple. He asks us to believe in him. Uh, Paul in Romans says, everyone who calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call out to him. If you don't know how to pray, just talk to God as if he's a friend. Say, God, I want to know you. Um, I'm learning about you in scripture. Um, Please save me from my sins uh, and let me walk with you the rest of my days. And he is faithful 100%. Amen. We're stopping with that. Thanks for listening to the Bible Caddy podcast. If you have questions about Jesus, you can email us at biblecaddy at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram under the handle at Bible Caddy. And we'll be back next week with another claim of the Lord. Until then, let's get into the Word and let the Word get into us. Let the Word get into us. Amen, boys.